Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. It's good to be with you this morning. Grace and peace to you. Some of you know where that's coming from. Pastor Brian last week preached the first week in the sermon series uh, here in the book of Philippians. As you just saw that intro video, we're beginning a sermon series here in the book of Philippians. And he really brought those words to life, grace and peace to you. He brought out the fact that as we look through all of the, the epistles or the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the churches there uh, in his ministry, uh, as, he, as he began each of those letters, he always began with grace and peace. And I think as many of you may have been last week, as I listened through uh, Brian's message, the, the, the conviction on myself of do I start letters that I write uh, with grace and peace? Do I start uh, the day in the morning with grace and peace? Do I start uh, the messages that I preach here with grace and peace? Do I start a staff meeting that I lead with grace and peace? So it's an encouragement to us this morning to be living in that mode, in that mindset. So would you open your Bibles this morning, turn to that book of Philippians. It's on page 1229 in your Bibles, and we start from a place of grace and peace there this morning. I know that I've still got a long ways to go in this. I'm sure that you feel this way as well. Uh, is a kid song that I learned growing up that you may be familiar with. It's called, He's Still Working on Me uh, to Make Me What I Ought to Be. And as we go into this book, as you begin to look here in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 6, would you? Look at verse 6 because it's all built around this idea. It goes like this. It says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are all in the middle of being molded and formed as a potter forms the clay that God is working in us and through us so that we would be able to be a people who start our conversations with grace and peace. If you look for that white sheet of paper, it's in your bulletin. It's a white outline for you to be able to follow along uh, with where I'm going this morning. Please do not rip that up for any reason. Last week, Brian began his message by saying, take that paper out and tear it up and throw it away. We want to be able to stay with it this morning. Uh, he also uh, reminded us that for those of you who are interested, we have uh, a small group curriculum that goes along with everything that we're doing here on Sundays uh, that is part of this uh, Mission Together series that you can uh, actually go through some of the detail of what he had already prepared for that message before we move to a different uh, angle on, on that. So uh, be able to, to take a look at that. It's on our website to be able to find your way there as well. You'll be able to do that with today's message as well. Today's message title is this, Living on Earth... Longing for heaven. Living on earth, longing for heaven. So as I open up that verse and I look at that verse, of, of verse 6, of he who began a good work will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That day, that coming day when Christ Jesus will return in all of his glory as the king coming back to his throne. That is the day that we live for. However, we still live here. And so as you see on your outline, the question I want to ask this morning or the reminder I want to give us is when God is your reason to live, you'll never have a reason to quit. When God is your reason to live, you will never have a reason to quit. Let me explain a little bit here. Have you ever had your own personal 15 minutes of fame? I don't know that I have necessarily, but uh, this week something unique happened to one of my neighbors who is the principal of our elementary school and is also one of the directors for the Amherst 
uh, baseball little league. And so he actually, they made a decision as a little league uh, association, the teams and all that, that they, if you know all of that goes back into it, behind it, but they uh, decided to send back their uniforms in the little league that had any of the Astros logos on it, having anything to do with the, the Houston Astros because of all that has gone on in that debacle. They decided we don't want to have Astros as one of our teams in this little league. And so he, uh, as, as a team here in Amherst, he, he wanted to be able to hopefully have this story covered by the Amherst Bee, to at least cover the story that they were going to uh, kind of take a look at what was going on in baseball and, and, and have something to say about it. The Amherst Bee was not interested in covering the story. It wasn't a big enough story for them. Uh, but the News Channel 4, WIVB, decided that they would cover the story, uh, but they didn't actually put it on the air. They did put it on their website in one of those wormholes that you have to have the links to to be able to find the story. So they did the story there. Uh, a couple days later, he got an email uh, from someone else doing a different story from the Washington Post. And they wanted to be able to cover his story of the story about baseball. And before you know it, within a few days, uh, the Washington Post had called, CNN had called. He had had all these interviews because this story was big. This little town, Amherst, New York, was not going to have the Astros as part of their little league because of everything else that had happened. And so quotes like this uh, were in CNN, in CNN. The actions of the Astros are really contrary to what we believe in as a little league. The character and integrity involved in the decisions that they made. Or in CNN, it, or the other article said this. Uh, Keith Wing, the general manager of the Central Amherst Little League in Buffalo, he said, we just felt like the Astros didn't deserve to have their name on the shirts of our little kids. And so this, this broke up in the news line. This is his 15 minutes of fame. He was in a wedding uh, over the weekend in Canada. And so when he left for Canada and his data service went out, he was just this little story. And then as he's in Canada sitting with his friends there, across the ticker on the bottom of ESPN is his quote that he made about baseball. And so his buddies there, he told me he was at a bar, and his buddies are at the bar telling the guy, he said, well, uh, I'm here with Keith Wing. You've heard of him, haven't you? His name's right here on the ticker. And so he had his 15 minutes of fame. Can you imagine, though, if his 15 minutes of fame, how quickly that happens, particularly in our culture, if his 15 minutes of fame had been negative rather than positive? Uh, many of you may have heard of T.D. Jakes. He's a, uh, a strong pastor, particularly in the African-American community. He is probably one of the most influential American, uh, African-American pastors of our time. And he has spoken to a lot of crowds. He's had the opportunity to meet with many of our presidents. But really one of the things I read and, and, and I saw in an interview recently as he talks about now as a man in his 60s, he recalls back to being a man in his 30s, the first time that the national media got a hold of something that he said. And he said this. The first time I was in the Washington Post, the article was so vicious that it made me nauseous. I was so shocked that you, you would say stuff about people you don't even know based only on assumptions. With all these quotes all pieced together and all out of context, he said to himself, I don't need this. And nearly quit the ministry right there. He said, I was preaching like fire on the outside, and on the inside I was retreating. If you know who T.D. Jakes is, he is a very large man. And he talks about how small and insignificant he felt in those moments. 
Specifically, he talks about being at a pastor's conference that he had just spoke at the conference. And there's all of these men meeting in a conference room afterwards. And he spent time with them. And he got word that there was a woman who wanted to speak to him afterwards. And he said, I didn't want to talk to her, so I just stayed that much longer, assuming that she would get tired and leave. But she didn't get tired. She stayed and she stayed and she stayed. And he said, I'm hiding from what's really out there because all I want to do is quit. He said, I, as a very large, ominous figure in many ways, meet this tiny, frail woman. And as he talks with this tiny, frail woman, she begins to tell him how she uh, had a baby that was uh, within her fallopian tubes. And as it grew inside of there, it it died within her womb. And and she was having to uh, uh, go through a surgery and everything else. And all of the pain and all the suffering that she went through... It was day after day after day of her watching and listening to his sermons of the way that he unpacked God's word that spoke to her in a very specific way and she needed to just wait long enough to be able to share with him what God had done in her life. And even in the interview, 30 years later, this giant man of God is sobbing because T.D. Jakes was reminded of the reason why he was a pastor. The reason why he was doing what he was doing. What's the reason? Why am I going through this? Well, when God is your reason to live, you'll never have a reason to quit. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As we are digging into this book of Philippians, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul walks into a city It's not so different from ours. It wasn't the largest city in the region, but it was a key city along the coast of Greece. It was in the Aegean Sea. It was known as a gateway city to connect the rest of the area. It was a melting pot of cultures, of ethnicity from all over the surrounding world. Does that sound familiar? If you think about the city of Buffalo, it may not feel like it right now, but when the city of Buffalo was the gateway to the Erie Canal, it was this intersection of all the different cultures of the day all coming here to Buffalo. It is called the gateway as you go into the Erie Canal, and all that came in and out of the ports here was all happening here in Buffalo. No, it wasn't the largest city in the United States. In fact, even in New York State, it's known as what? The Queen City, because it was always coming in second place to that king city down in lower Manhattan. But as we think about that, and we think about, uh, if you don't really realize it today, that still Buffalo is this, uh, this big melting pot of culture, particularly on the west side. If you don't realize that, you need to go to the west side, just a few blocks down from Buff State. You can go over there, and there's something called the West Side Bazaar, and you can go in there, and you can be able to see all these shops that are coming from refugees from all over the world. The West Side Bazaar is a place where people are able to uh, have this open marketplace where they here in the United States are trying to begin to start their businesses and begin to start their way to pursue what they see as the American dream. However, many of them are not here because they want to be. Most of them are fleeing religious persecution. Most of them are fleeing civil war from Burma, from Nepal, from Kenya, from Somalia, and they're all coming together right here in Buffalo. In fact, the 2010 census reminded us that for the first time within the city limits, the uh, population ticked up for the first time in 50 years, and most likely as coming from our refugee population. 
You don't have to be reminded either that we are also where that big country that happens to be north of us, the Canadians, you know, that they infiltrate through Buffalo as well uh, as you go out and about. Particularly our family likes to go skiing and most of the time you ride up a ski lift, you're riding with a Canadian almost all the time. They love the U.S. and they love snow. So there they go. (laughs) Philippi was the same way. I'm not sure if either of those things are true. Uh, Philippi was the same way, not the snow part of it, but the rest of the part is true. I had all kinds of people from different kinds of places, and yet all of these cultures that are coming, because you bring all of these religious preferences are coming into the culture as well. And the very first person to walk into the city and start talking about this man named Jesus Christ was a man named Paul. He was there as the first Christian ministry, beginning and starting the very first Christian church in that area, in that city's history. And if you go back to Acts chapter 16, you can meet the people that were in the core group of this uh, new church that was going to be starting there. You, you meet Lydia, who is the seller of purple, that I always remember that name. My sister's name is Lydia. You meet a demon-possessed slave girl that he, he pulls out of her demon possession, and, and she immediately follows Christ. You meet the Philippian jailer and his family. These are the, this is the core group. This is the beginnings of the church in Philippi. The, the membership of this core group is completely radical and completely against anything they would have ever experienced there. Three things that a Jewish man would pray every morning as part of the Talmud, part of their daily prayer liturgy is this. Thank God that I'm not a woman. Thank God that I'm not a slave. Thank God that I'm not a Gentile. Thank God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And who do you think? Do you think that it's coincidence? The Apostle Paul walks into Philippi and he says, I'm going to start a church. He starts sharing the gospel. And who are the first three people to come out of the woodwork? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. It's no coincidence. God was at work. As an aside, the greatest thing that you can do to bring salvation and healing to a community of every kind, to help to improve its spiritual state, the social barriers, the damaged economics of a city or a community, the greatest thing that you can do is put a God-fearing, Bible-believing, Jesus-teaching church in the middle of that community. When that happens, you begin to deal with all of the other issues. This is why we plant churches. This is why we partner with people who are missionaries all over the world. This is why here in Buffalo we are in partnership with the Frontier Baptist Association. Their offices are right below me here in this building. And they have, as we just talked about the west side, they have three or four churches that are ministering to hundreds of refugees here in the city. And we partner with that every time that we come together and we give an offering here as a church. We partner with that. We're going into Clarence, as you've heard us talk about many times now, as as a church planting uh, effort to be able to go towards Clarence. And and, and you may think in your mind towards Clarence, think, well, that is a suburban white community. Yes, it is, and yet that is the dangerous, most dangerous opioid addictions are happening in Clarence, New York. More than any in the city of Buffalo, they're happening here in Clarence. More than any, uh, all the new growth that we see downtown Buffalo, all the new buildings that are going up. Where is the largest growth in our area? Clarence, New York. And so we go. We go because we want to be able to see the gospel come through. As you might expect in Philippi, 
Oh, I want to also bring up as well. We also partner with, there's a Korean-speaking congregation that is meeting here right now. They've been meeting for about three months, the beginning, the beginning of the year. In one of our classrooms in the back, during our services here, a Korean-speaking church is meeting here because we are partnering with them so that they can reach their community. I don't speak Korean. How are we going to reach their community here in this neighborhood? We offer those things. As you might imagine, it was not an easy place to be a new Christian in Philippi. The predominant religion was the Roman religion, which said that all gods are equal. You can worship any god that you want as long as your god doesn't interfere with the worship of the emperor Caesar. The emperor Caesar was to be worshipped above all else and put above all gods. He was a god himself, the supreme ruler of the world. So if you can imagine when the, the Philippians, when they come and they begin to worship Christ and begin to put him at a higher level and say that Jesus is the only way, and they begin to say that, that our God is God and you are not, Mr. Emperor, that was going to create a problem for them. They stuck out like a Tom Brady jersey at a Bills game. People didn't like them. People began to say things about them. People began to, to talk about how they were bad not only for uh, the religious practice of the day, they were bad for the community. They were saying these are, these are bad people and are uh, civilians within our society. We want to get rid of them. We want to push them out. They are ruining everything here. And so Christians began to be the scapegoat for many, many other things. They were lied about. The newspaper articles were not fair. They were not balanced. Their newspaper articles were damning for no reason at all. This cancer had to be removed. Christianity must be stopped. So much so that Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, as soon as they share the gospel, what do we find out about them? They are immediately thrown into prison. And for those who would follow them and follow their lead, it would only get worse. Don't you think there were days that they wanted to quit? Don't you think there were days where they said, they asked themselves, why am I going through this? When God is your reason to live, you'll never have reason to quit. When God is your reason to live, you'll never have reason to quit. If you've got that paper, here's your fill-in. You will have a reason to speak the word, a reason to speak or proclaim the word. Verse 12 of chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 beginning verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to do what? To advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The Apostle Paul is now in chains in Rome, which began as a process in Philippi because of, of, of the way that everyone rose up against him. Now he has appealed all the way to Rome. He is there in chains in Rome. He says, I get to share the gospel. And everyone in the palace guard who is literally, they say by tradition, they were probably chained to him. And he's sharing the gospel with them over and over and over and over. He said, what has happened to me has actually served to do what? To advance the gospel. The enemy thought that the gospel would die, that Christianity, this cancer, would be eradicated if they just threw him into prison. But no, it actually served to advance the gospel. Paul sees the reason he is in prison. He sees the reason that he is here is to speak 
the word. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters, see how he continues to talk to them as family, as, as people who know the pain that he's going through, have become confident in the Lord and even all the more daring to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's able to say this and proclaim the beauty of the gospel because of the trial that he is going through. As he is going through this, he says, I am emboldened. I want to preach all the more. I've spoken often of the trial that my family went through almost 10 years ago now of losing our son to a heart defect. That was a difficult time for us. But 10 years later, it is still the platform by which we connect with people. It is still the platform by which we're able to talk about the loss that we went through, the pain that we went through, and the way that God sustained us through that. And by doing so, we were able to connect with people who are going through real trials and real pain and be able to say to them, God has seen us through this, and he will see you through it as well. Those connections have happened in recovery groups with people who are broken because of alcohol, people who are strung out on drugs and addictions and be able to say, we understand loss. I don't love it. I don't want to go through it. But I do see that the gospel is being advanced because of this. We had and we still have a reason to preach, to speak the word. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The latter, excuse me, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. While he is in prison for speaking Christ publicly, while he has been thrown in prison for going up against the Romans. He is there in prison and there are people who are speaking ill will of him. They're talking about Christ and talking about Paul and trying to actually make Paul look bad in the process. But even still, he says, what does it matter? What does it matter, he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What does it matter, he says. What is the reason that all of this is happening? When I look at the situation I'm in, what is the reason behind it? It's to advance the gospel so that I can talk about Christ. And if that means that someone else somewhere else is talking about Christ, whatever their motives are, they are still talking about and preaching Jesus Christ. The reason that Paul is going through what he's going through would be that Christ would be preached. You see, when God is your reason to live, you'll never have a reason to quit. It's a reason to speak the word. It's a reason to rejoice in suffering. It's a reason to rejoice in suffering. Bottom line is this. Many of us have a very flawed view of what suffering is. We often talk about the therapy of suffering. The therapy of suffering, meaning what we want to provide for people who are suffering. How when they are in need, we want to support them. We want to work with our friends to help them establish healthy boundaries between their work and their family. Or we want to help them establish healthy boundaries, maybe an unhealthy relationship or an abusive relationship. We want to help them with that. We want to protect our own family. We want to protect the people we love from ever having to feel pain, from ever having to endure trials. See, this is the therapy of suffering, and what we are missing is the theology of suffering. 
You see, we focus on the therapy of suffering. We've missed the theology of suffering. The Bible talks about suffering very seriously. The Bible talks about suffering as a result of the sin that is in our world. The Bible says that we begin to cause suffering in others even before we are born. We cause suffering in others even before we are born. And mothers who are here this morning, they can testify to this, that you were a pain before you were born. Even before the act of childbirth, the the baby going through the birth canal, you were a pain. Why? Because of sin. It wasn't always this way, friends. Sin made it that way. It wasn't always this way, but sin broke what God created, and therefore we suffer. On earth, we cause others to suffer. We suffer because of others. In many ways, to be alive is to suffer. You know you're alive when you go through suffering. We will suffer physically. We will suffer emotionally. We will suffer mentally. We will suffer relationally. And our poor theology is this. We assume that if God loves us, that we will not have to endure anything. That if God loves us, he wouldn't let anything bad happen to us. Friends, this theology doesn't match up with what we read in Scripture. The book of Psalms, a collection of poems and songs and worship songs and hymns that we would sing, a third of those psalms have to do with lament, writing in pain and in sorrow, writing about what God's people are living with here on the earth and going through here on the earth. Entire books of the Bible, the book of Lamentations, is writing about the pain and sorrow that the author is going through. So why do bad things happen to good people? This is a wrong understanding of Scripture. Every prophet that we read in the Old Testament deals with lament. Jesus laments in the New Testament of the condition of Jerusalem. Some prophets even curse the day that they were born. Some prophets ask for a mountain to fall on them and and collapse them so that they won't have to go through this suffering. Perhaps as you are hearing these words, you are thinking about it. You say, I understand that type of suffering. Why am I going through this? What is the reason? Job, Jeremiah, they beg God for clarity on this question. Where can I go to for help? Where can I go to for relief from this pain, from this suffering. Some of us look for ways to avoid ever having to feel that pain or that suffering again. You go through something difficult and you say, I do not ever want to be in that spot again. Some of us will go even to the point of saying, I don't want to watch a television program or a drama that ever deals with anything having to do with suffering because it's too difficult for me to watch. It's too hard to go through that. I don't want to watch the news. I'd rather get a a, a feed to my phone or something that just paints everything rosy. I want to talk about puppies and I want to talk about uh, rainbows. Other than that, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. What's the Apostle Paul do? He leans in. He leans into suffering. He doesn't run away from suffering. He rejoices in suffering. 
He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision that the spirit of Jesus Christ and what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect, he says, and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, what? Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul eagerly, eagerly leans into suffering. He's excited about it. And he makes this strong statement. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I have a preaching textbook by John Stott. Maybe you've heard of him before. It's got this title, Between Two Worlds. And then the author talks about when, when coming to the pulpit, the pastor's responsibility is to try to connect that ancient world of 2,000 years ago. Try to de- demonstrate where that world is there and then take, take what's now current and be able to take this world. And can I, can I reach an arm into that world and reach an arm into this world and make a connection that matters? And here you see the Apostle Paul doing the very same thing between this world and the next. Trying to put one hand on the earth and be able to long for glory, along with the other hand to be able to make this connection between what we're going through right now here on this planet and what God has promised for us someday in glory. He's making this connection between the two worlds. And I have the honor of serving you as a church here at Randall Church. Many of you have a few more years than I do. Uh, about five or six years ago, I could say that some of you not only were, were double my age, but some of you were even triple my age. But as time goes by, I can at least say double my age. And as I say that, I say that lovingly because some of you, you have an understanding. There's something more real for you about uh, being close to glory, to finishing strong, be able to say, but just in a moment, in just a moment, I could be in glory at any time. And you have an appreciation for what is to come that I don't know that those of us who are younger and haven't lived this life long enough yet, we we spend our time, we spend too much time saying, I kind of like living here. I kind of like interacting with the world that I'm in. And and we're obsessed with the world that we're in and the soccer practices that we go to and the accolades we get at work and all of those things because I'm too busy living here. Some of you senior saints understand No, I want to live for glory. I'm longing for heaven. And we're learning from you, friends. Keep teaching us. Keep showing us. We want to learn from you. Now, as a little bit lighter note, there's something else about getting older that is unique. Uh, Is that particularly those of you who are married, you begin, you, you see pictures of people, they begin to look a lot more like each other, Right? As, as you spend more time together, you begin looking a lot more like each other. And I, this was not in my notes, but just this is what's happened this morning, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, I'm going to come over here and ask my wife, Erin, to come, if you would, please. Uh, we are both on the door of 40 years old, and so as we grow closer together, apparently our wardrobe <laughs> is also growing closer together. Please come up here. Did you show oh, your shoes? 
Uh, this was not planned, although I did ask my wife this morning, hey, do I look good in what I'm wearing today? And she said, hey, that looks great. And apparently she went back to sleep and just decided, I'm going I'm to do something real, real similar. Uh, that was all I needed. Thank you, babe. Aaron accepted Christ in high school. We were dating. We were not dating at the time. Uh, but I had the opportunity to share the gospel with her as a 15-year-old, and she accepted Christ. And something very, very special happened in our youth group at the time. Uh, our youth group caught fire. And through Aaron's excitement and energy for the gospel, like, people began coming to our little church and our little youth group. And there was something that happened inside of our little youth group where, where an hour or two before our meeting times would happen, we would, there was three or four or five of us that would gather at the church and would go through the phone book. Remember that? Uh, we would go through the phone book and try to find last names of people that we knew. And we would call them up and say, hey, you've got two hours to get to church. You need to be here. And they started to come. Well, of all things, they began to come and people began to uh, give their lives to Christ and live their lives differently because of what God was doing. And somewhere in that process, one of my older friends, his name is Ben, uh, you met him uh, about a year ago. He came and preached here one Sunday. Uh, but he said, I think that we should do a student-led youth rally at our church. We won't have any adults do anything. We, just, we might really be able to reach our public high school if we have a student-led uh, conference that they could all come to. And so we did. We put it together, and, and we went all around our high school and gave them about uh, two days' notice. And we put up posters everywhere, uh, everywhere that we could. We taped them up, put them on bullet torns, put, put them on the bathroom stalls and everything. This And this is all that it said. It said this, but to die is gain. And then the time of where, where we were meeting. But to die is gain. That is super weird, friends. Can you imagine? Uh, some of you are teachers in your high school or in your middle school. If you, you started seeing signs posted everywhere today. I mean, it was 25 years ago, so things are a little bit different now. Uh, but if you see signs all over the building that say, to die is gain, come learn more. It's weird. The Apostle Paul is saying here, he said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he is trying to help us get a capture of this tension between the two worlds that he is being pulled into. If I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which would be far better. But it's still more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with you in all of your progress and joy in faith. Why would the Apostle Paul rejoice in suffering? So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. That, that his suffering would allow someone else to come to Christ. Because you see, when God is your reason to live, you will never have a reason to quit. You have a reason to speak the word. You'll have a reason to rejoice in suffering. And lastly, you'll have a reason to stand together. We've called this sermon series, Mission together and look at this how the apostle Paul is is gathering people together and he is he is gathering them around one thought one mission one vision it says whatever happens conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ whatever happens this is the moment of surrender 
I talked very briefly about how we have had the opportunity to be in many uh, recovery conversations with those who are dealing with many addictions or hurts and habits that they're going through. And at the beginning of each of them, and friends, I will say at the beginning of each of our recovery process from the sin that is in our lives is a moment of surrender. And the Apostle Paul says it here. He says, whatever happens, whatever happens. He says, I'm not in charge. God's in charge. Whatever happens, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure if I'll ever get to see my trial come in front of a judge here in Rome. I'm sitting in a prison right now. Whatever happens, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But God is in charge. I talked about being in Clarence last Sunday. I preached this sermon there at Harris Hill Baptist Church in Clarence. They're going through a transition where they are closing down their services so that then they can begin the process of planting something new there in that process. We are partnering with them in this process. In one of our recent conversations, I sat down with their pastor, Jonathan, and their lead deacon, his name is Jim. Uh, So Deacon Jim, I asked him, I said, hey, do you understand what's going on here? If we progress forward, we actually do intend to start something entirely different than what you've been a part of for the last number of years. Do you understand what that looks like? Do you understand how how that is going to happen And, and, and are there any questions that you have? And we answered some of those questions. Then I asked him, hey, I, I just want to ask you and ask, ask you, Jonathan, but particularly you as, as just a layperson here in the church. If something were to happen and all of a sudden I was no longer the pastor at Randall or something were to happen and Randall was no longer partnering with you to be able to reach Clarence, uh, what would you do in order to begin planting a new church in Clarence, New York? And he just quietly looked at me. He's a guy who was... Uh, retired from being a truck driver. And he said, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to do something else. Whatever happens, I guess I'll just have to do something else. And then he told a really brief story about how uh, as a truck driver, sometimes he'd pull up to the load that he knew he was supposed to take from one end of the country to the other. And you'd arrive and the load was disorganized and it was not in the order that it was. And he said, there's nothing else you can do. You just have to reload the load. So we're just going to have to put it on differently, and then we're going to go. That's it. He says, whatever happens, whatever happens, if God is calling us to move forward, we will go forward. If that load has to get to the other side of the country, we'll get it done. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. When we stand together, friends, as one, he says here a couple of times, and as we get into next week's message in chapter 2, you're going to see this, this voice of unity coming through again and again and again, that being on mission together, understanding that we pursue one mission, one goal, one Savior, Jesus Christ. We can have this mindset. We will not be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only who believe in him, but also those who suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, now here I am still going through it, he says. God's will will be done no matter what. You see, we get things backwards We get things mistaken when we start to think, well, I'm not sure that I've got enough muscle to keep going forward. I'm not sure that I've got enough willpower to keep going forward. Friends, it's not about you. 
It's not about your willpower, your drive, your leadership. But it is all about whether God is going to use your broken cistern and use it for his glory, which he promises to do again and again in Scripture. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the work will be faithful to complete it. Jesus is the reason that the Apostle Paul can continue forward. The difficult thing that you're going through, the suffering that you are in. If you know that you are in God's will and you know that God has, has taken you in his family, you call yourself a child of God and you pursue after him. You say, I don't know why I'm going through this thing. Understand that suffering will be a part. And you're going to find all through Philippians, the Apostle Paul is going to continue to build on this statement of he who began this good work in you will be faithful. Even if you're not. He will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the reason. This is the why behind. The word gospel in chapter 1 alone comes up ten different times in the Apostle Paul's writing. Ten different times the word gospel comes through. He says, just remember the gospel the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came to die and give himself for you. And so he will make sure that that was worth his time, friends. When we go through difficult things, we must remember the reason we go through them. The reason why we go through pain and through suffering is because we live in a sinful world. But Jesus Christ has come to rescue this world. And he will be faithful to complete it. It's been a, it's been a difficult couple of weeks around here. There's been a fair amount of suffering in different ways here in the church. Pastor Brian spoke about his situation within his family uh, last Sunday. Uh, we've talked uh, with many of you here in the church going through some physical things, going through some family issues within your family. We've talked with some of you, many of you who know what's going on about some of the, the, the wounds of the past, the scars of the past. It almost seems like those cuts, it's like a scab that we're picking at and it's, it's kind of coming out again of some of the things of the past in our history here as a church. And as we go through those things, the pain is coming back to the surface, pain that we thought perhaps was healed it's a difficult time. As we go through these things, we have to remember the reason that we go through these things is because we live in a broken and fallen world. And yet he will be faithful to complete it. He will be faithful to, to complete the good work that he began in you and in me. To complete the good work that he began here at Randall Church in Williamsville, New York. He will complete it even if you and I fail. We are living here on earth, and we are longing for heaven. In my family, uh, we, we had a significant loss. As some of you follow social media and that type of thing. Our dog died last week. And it's sad. It's hard. Particularly for our kids. They're going through, like, this is, this is the family pet. This is, not a, this is a five-year-old dog. It's, it's a difficult thing for us to go through. And as a family, as, as your kids look back at you and they say, what's the reason? Why would this happen? And in the same way, when we go through loss, 
we, we, we ask ourselves that question. We say, what, what's the reason? Why is this happening? Why am I going through pain and suffering again? It's because we are living on earth and we are longing for heaven. But we're still here on earth. You see, Paul comes to the conclusion here that if he was swept up into heaven right now, that there wouldn't be any more opportunities for him to share the gospel or lead another soul to Christ. There wouldn't be any more letters that he would be able to write to inspire others to martyrdom for the sake of the gospel. He is longing for heaven, but he is living here on earth. It's appointed for man once to die. We are all going to die. When that happens, it will be your appointed time. That could happen today. That could happen 50 years from today. But when it happens, that will be your appointed time. But if that doesn't happen, if you live for another day, you have another 24 hours, you have another 48 hours, you have another 48 years, it's God's will for you to remain here on earth. What are you doing? What are you doing? The Apostle Paul knew, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, as long as I'm here, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to write these letters. I'm going to talk to the people that I'm chained to here in prison to make sure that they hear the gospel, the, the power of the gospel, the saving power of the gospel. We need to be reminded of that, friends. This morning we come to the communion table. If our band will come up for the music, if the attendees will come forward, the communion table is that reminder. The reminder that for us to live is, for me to live is Christ, the Apostle Paul says, but to die is gain. The only way that he can say that, the only way that he can even have that dialogue is to be reminded of the sacrifice that Christ has made for him. And we are told in Scripture to, to be reminded of this sacrifice so that each time that we come to the communion table, that we share a meal together, we are reminded of the sacrifice that has been made. So this morning, in just a moment when we hand out the elements of communion, and here we celebrate a communion that is open to anyone who is a follower of Christ, and we try not to have any hindrances for that. And so our communion is grape juice. We don't serve wine, we serve grape juice. We don't serve normal bread, we serve gluten-free bread. We want to be able to make it possible for anyone who's a follower of Christ to be able to partake in communion together if your heart is right before the Lord. If you can come to the communion table understanding the sacrifice that he has made for you, understanding that your heart is clean and pure before him, and if it's not, that he is the one that can clean it and purify it in this moment and in these moments. So this morning as I ask you whether or not you are living here on earth as if you were longing for heaven, meaning you are willing to and, and regularly sharing the truth of the gospel with everyone that you meet. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who would say, I, I can't say that because I'm not even sure that I know Christ myself. We'd ask you to, to hold off on communion today. We ask you to wait until you understand a little bit more deeply. But in a room that there will be a number of people who will be taking communion in just a moment, you should be able to ask any one of them, any one of us standing here on the platform, tell me about this gospel. Tell me about this gospel that the Apostle Paul could look death in the face and say, okay, 
that's fine, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to speak the word. Because that same power that indwells the Apostle Paul lives in you and lives in me. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians to another church. He reminds them of what happened at the communion table. He says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Speaking of the bread that was served at that meal between Jesus and his disciples, that final huddle before he would go to the cross to remind them, he says, it will remind us as well of the great sacrifice that was given. We'll send the elements back, give you an opportunity to be able to, to, to hold that bread in your hand. Would you take those moments? Would you take those moments to ask yourself, what is the reason What's the reason that I continue going forward each day? What's the reason that I don't quit right now? And I pray that Jesus Christ will speak to you, that he will remind you in these moments, I'm the reason. I'm the reason why. And I'll give you the strength to go forward. So dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of communion where we can share a meal together when we can uh, be reminded of the sacrifice you made for us. We go through sufferings. It's part of a, a broken world that we live in. But Lord, you are the one making it right. And we put all of our hope and our trust in you. Remind us of that here in this room this morning. In Jesus' name.